welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff and this is my podcast series which is mostly for parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia but it's also for anyone else who's involved in caring for a child with cancer or leukemia. And today I'm doing the second episode on central lines. So you really need to listen to the first episode on central lines because that explains why we need central lines when we're treating children with chemotherapy. So make sure you listen to that episode first. Today I want to talk about the two main types of central lines that we use in children on chemotherapy. And I'll start by saying what the key difference is before I go into the detail. The key difference is that there's one type of line where the tubing of the line comes out of the body and is visible outside the body. The second type of line is one where the entire line is enclosed underneath the skin and so a special needle is used to connect into the line. So they're the main differences, the external type line and the one that's completely under the skin. First off, I want to talk about the process of putting in these lines and what they have in common. The first thing to say is that putting in these types of lines is an operation. It's something that's normally done with a general anaesthetic and usually it's performed either by a surgeon or by someone called an interventional radiologist. Interventional radiologists are radiologists, you know, the x-ray specialists, the people that do the MRI scans and the x-rays and all of that. But the interventional radiologists are the ones that use x-ray equipment to perform all sorts of fancy procedures like biopsies of tumours that are in obscure locations and putting in central lines. So from institution to institution, it'll vary. Most of the time, I'd say it's been surgeons in the past that put in the central lines. But Sometimes it's the interventional radiologists that do it. But yes, it's an operation. It's not a big operation normally. It's a pretty straightforward operation usually, provided the patient's in a stable condition. I don't know how long it takes, maybe an hour, but it's a visit to the operating room. And by the way, we often do certain other procedures at the same time as putting in the central line, so... If a patient needs a bone marrow test or a spinal tap, lumbar puncture, we often do that at the same time since the patient's having an anaesthetic. So when a surgeon puts in a central line, first off, they make a little cut just below the collarbone. So think several centimetres below the collarbone, the clavicle bone on the chest. So on the front of the chest, they make a little nick a few inches below the collarbone. Now into that little hole, they thread their piece of tubing and they thread their tubing under the skin, up and up and up, under the skin, under the skin, threading it up, probably using some sort of metal probing advancer thing until they get to the neck. Now, up at the neck, they make another cut usually and with that cut, they can find a vein So we're talking about one of those veins in the bottom of the neck, you know, the ones that vampires usually seem to bite into when they attack you on the movies. One of those big veins in the neck. It might be the 
I think the external jugular vein or the, I guess sometimes it's the internal jugular vein. There's a variety of veins there and the surgeons know them all back to front. So they find a vein in the neck and then they can thread the tip of their line into that vein and then keep pushing it down the vein, down the vein, into a big vein, down close to the heart or indeed often they push it through that vein and into the heart. So into what we call the right atrium of the heart. That's the first sort of chamber in the heart where blood from your arms and legs comes to before it gets pumped off to the lungs. So the line has now gone from the little hole in the skin on the front of the chest up under the skin to the neck, then it's entered the vein and now it's gone down, down, down towards that big vein just above the heart or indeed into the heart itself. And by the way, they may well use some sort of x-ray equipment just to show where the tip of the line is and make sure that it's in the right place. I don't know if they do that all the time, but certainly sometimes they do. Okay, so now we've got this line and it's positioned in this big vein in the chest or even in the heart. Now let's consider what's happening back at that entry site. Where they made that first hole to put it in, that's where the differences emerge in the two types of central line. Now, to understand this, a picture is going to tell a thousand words. So what I've done is I've put some key pictures on my Facebook page. So if you've got Facebook, you'll be able to see the pictures there. But if you haven't got Facebook... I can tell you the web address where I got the pictures from. So if you go onto the internet and you go to this web address, you'll see the pictures that I borrowed for my Facebook site. So you want to go to curesearch.org. That's C-U-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot O-R-G backslash central, C-E-N-T-R-A-L hyphen lines, so L-I-N-E-S. So curesearch.org backslash central hyphen lines. Now, if you go to that website, you will see some pictures that show you exactly what I'm talking about. By the way, CureSearch is the foundation, the charity group that um, organizes raising monies for the children's oncology group. That's the big research trials group in America that conducts big, huge research studies and all the big institutions in childhood cancer in Canada and the United States and Australia and various other places are member institutions of COG. So they're a good mob and that's a really good site. Actually, it explains what I'm talking about. So have a look at those pictures. Now, if you happen to have access to my Facebook page, that will do. If you go to Facebook and you go to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff, and you'll see my photos there, and they're basically the same pictures. Now, since some of you won't have access to these pictures as you're listening, I'll try to explain it anyway so that you can manage without the pictures. So the first type of central line to talk about is what we call an external central line. And it's got a few different brand names that have been used in the past. One of them was a Hickman line. The other was a Broviac line. I think they were just different brands. And so they get called different things in different places. But an external line or a Hickman catheter or a Broviac catheter, these are all names for this sort of central line. 
Now, with this sort of central line, the tubing comes out that hole that the surgeon made in the skin, and so the tubing, which is, I don't know, about as thick as a telephone cable, that sort of thickness, comes out of the skin and comes out for some sort of length, uh, white catheter, white tubing for maybe, I don't know, 12 inches, something like that, and then it has uh, a plug on the end of it. So the tubing is dangling outside the body and with a plug on the end of it and a clamp on it. So every time that we need to give something into the vein, we undo the plug on the end of it and we attach the drip to it, then we undo the clamp and then we can start the drip running through this central line and it goes in and into the vein. So the patient has this length of tubing coming out of their body and sort of dangling there and they go through the course of treatment with this piece of tubing in place and it's flexible and so it can be sort of coiled up and uh, taped into position or some people wear a little bag around their neck and it sits in that and the entry site where it goes into the skin that's the central line exit site well that usually has some sort of dressing put over it to sort of keep it clean very often we use a central line that's called a double lumen catheter. So a lumen, each lumen, is a channel that goes through this central line and into the vein. So if you have a double lumen catheter, it means that the one tube actually has two little channels running through it up into the vein. And so on the outside, there's actually two bits of tubing. So the one tubing comes out of the body, but it splits into two, and each tube has its own little plug. So we can use one lumen to give one drug, and we can use the other lumen to give another drug, for instance. So if you had to give two drugs and they weren't compatible, well, you could use the two different lumens to give them. So that's called a double lumen Hickman or a double lumen central line. And you can even get a triple lumen line. Now, We don't routinely put the triple lumen ones in. I guess we particularly might use them in some bone marrow transplant situations. I guess more often these days we're putting in the double lumen one as a routine, but sometimes we put in the triple lumen line. The triple lumen line is going to be a bit wider where it enters the vein, and so there's surgical considerations for how big is the vein, etc., etc., Okay, now let me talk about the second main type of central line. And this is the one that ends up completely enclosed beneath the skin. So there's nothing dangling outside the body. And again, if you refer to those photos at my Facebook page or else at that website I gave you, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Now this one goes by the name of an infuser port or a portacath or a mediport or just a Port. So these are all just different brands, Portacath, Infusaport, etc. Now this one is the same as far as the tubing going up under the skin, into the neck, down towards the heart. But at the other end, instead of coming out of the body as a piece of tubing, it ends in this little thing called the port. Now the port is a round thing and it's like a little chamber that's made of hard plastic or metal, and it's got a rubber bung on top of it. Now, this thing gets stitched in position 
under the skin. And the rubber bung part of it is just under the skin. So what happens here is that when we want to use it, we put a needle through the skin, through the rubber bung, and into this little chamber thing. And now the needle is connected to the chamber, which is connected to the line, which goes into the vein. So again, you're going to understand this a lot better if you look at the pictures. But basically it's this little chamber thing um, underneath the skin. And we put a needle through the skin and into the chamber, and then the chamber goes off to the line. So when we're not using it, a patient with this sort of central line has this little lump thing under the skin, this little port, this chamber thing under the skin, and you can feel it. And I don't know, it's about as big as an Australian 10-cent piece, I suppose, maybe as big as a quarter in the United States, something of that sort of size. So there's this little lump thing there. Now, this is uh, it still takes a needle to get into it, just like putting a drip in the back of your hand. But this is very easy to get the needle into most of the time. It's predictable and reliable and it's not fiddly to get the needle into it. There's the rubber bung there and you put the needle through the skin, through the rubber bung, and then you're in. So the patient has that lump that they can feel under the skin, but they don't have anything dangling out of the body and so they don't have any sticky tape and dressings on their chest most of the time when we put in one of these infuser ports or portacaths, we put in just a single lumen infuser port. There are double lumen ones that you can get where they have two rubber bungs and you can put one needle through into one rubber bung and one needle through into the other. So you can get double lumen ones, but most of the time when we put them in, we're putting in the single lumen variety. So they're the two main types of central lines. The external one that ends with a piece of tubing coming out of the body and the infuser port or portacath that's completely enclosed under the skin. So now the question arises, what are the advantages and disadvantages of each and which one should we put in? So first, let's talk about the advantages of the external line. So the good thing about the external line is that There's no needles involved. So we don't have to put a needle through the skin to get into it. It's already outside the body. All we have to do is, with very sterile technique that the nurses all know backwards, very sterile, got to be meticulously clean and antiseptic, etc. We just have to hook up the drip to the plug, undo the clamp, and we're ready to go. So there's no needles involved in using it. The other advantage of it is that we can take blood samples from the central line without any needles involved. Now, different units have different policies on this. Some units don't like to use the central line for taking blood samples as a routine. Some units do, so it varies from place to place. But it is possible to get blood samples, and particularly those times when you need to get all sorts of different blood samples and you need a lot of blood, well, you can get the blood from the central line, usually without any needles involved. So that's a big plus for the external type of central line. Another advantage for the external line is that ability to have a double lumen line or even a triple lumen line. Now that has advantages sometimes, particularly in situations where you're giving very strong chemotherapy and you're 
often going to need lots of supportive care and antibiotics and blood and platelets and all sorts of things, particularly, say, for a bone marrow transplant or leukaemia therapies, a central line that has a double lumen has some advantages. Like I said, you can get a double lumen port, but they're a bit more fiddly and not as routinely used. Another advantage to the external line is in those situations where we're going to have the line hooked up to something for a long period of time. Now, if you think that you're going to have the line hooked up to a drip for, you know, a week or two or three or four or five, you know, thinking very intensive chemotherapy or bone marrow transplant, it's a bit of a problem with the port, having the needle accessed into the port for a very long period of time. Uh, after a while, the skin can get a bit fragile and and a bit ulcerated from having the needle in it for so long. So in those situations where we think we're going to need the line to be in continuous use for a long time, sometimes a central line is considered the superior option. Now, what about the disadvantages of this external line? Well, I guess one of the main ones is that you have this bit of plastic dangling out of your body that has to be sort of taped into position and and looked after. And that can be a bit of an assault on the patient's body image, I suppose. Um, that's not a normal way to be. Particularly teenagers, I think, can be a bit more self-conscious of that sort of thing. It's Like I said, it's a bit of a distortion to the body image. In addition, it needs caring for. So that central line site needs to have dressings put on it so that it's kept very clean because we don't want infection to get into that central line site. And so it takes a bit of caring for and changing the dressing, etc., etc. Then there's considerations about what activities you can do. You know, things like having a shower, having a bath, going swimming... All of these different units will have different policies for what can and can't be done, but it has considerations and it may be that it needs a special dressing put over it for those situations or some units might just say, you know, no swimming while the central line's in place. And in addition, for playing other sports and things like that, it's just a bit more fragile, it's a bit more exposed, a bit more able to be, you know, bumped and knocked and tugged and those sorts of things. So they're disadvantages to this external line. So now let's talk about the portacath or the infuser port type of central line. So what are the advantages of that one? Well, a key advantage is that it's completely enclosed under the skin and so it's a bit less susceptible to being bumped and tugged. It's more suitable for having a bath and having a shower and going swimming, etc. I wouldn't say you're still able to play full contact sports with one of these in place, but it would impose less restrictions on activities than the external central line. It doesn't need dressings put over it. It needs to be flushed once a month, by the way. If it's not being used in the meantime, then it has to be accessed with the needle and flushed to stop blood from clotting in it. The external line we would normally flush every week, by the way, if we weren't using it in the meantime. So it needs less sort of overall maintenance, no dressings being put on it, less regular flushing. And like I said, it's all under the skin. It's less of a distortion to the body image. It's just a little lump that's sitting there. What are the disadvantages of the infuser port, port port-a-cath type of line? 
Well, I guess the main one is that you need a needle to get into it. So every time you need to use it, we need to put some numbing cream over the skin. We don't have to do that, but most kids prefer it. So you put the cream on and you wait 20 or 30 or 40 minutes to numb the skin. And then it has to be sterilized over the skin and then then the nurses have to put the needle in through the skin, through the rubber bung and into this portacath chamber. Okay, so that's a needle every time we want to use it. Some kids won't mind that, particularly with the numbing cream. Other kids really are just terrified of needles. Also, we're less likely to use this port just for taking blood samples. So if we have to sterilise it and numb it and put the needle in to get the blood, well, pretty much you might as well just have taken the blood from a vein or from a finger prick. So portacath is sort of less likely to be used for taking routine blood tests. Once it's accessed, it might be possible to take blood tests, of course, but you wouldn't normally access it, that is, put the needle into it, just to take blood samples. Not generally, unless someone had really difficult veins to get blood samples from. Another disadvantage occurs in kids that have a bit more fat under the skin. So if you're a skinny child and you don't have a lot of fat under the skin, then the port is very readily localised. It's very easy to identify and position and get the needle into it. In children that have a bit more fat under the skin, so, you know, kids that weigh a lot more, sometimes it's a bit more of a fiddle to find the exact place where the port bung is and to get the needle into it. So that can be a bit more of a fiddle. So let's talk now about how do we decide which type of central line to put in. Now, in some situations, the medical situation makes it very clear which one we should use. So in patients who are going to have a bone marrow transplant and in patients who are going to have very intensive chemotherapy, so for instance for acute myeloid leukaemia or relapse leukaemia or high-risk leukaemia, then we would usually go with the external type line because we're likely to need two lumens or three lumens and we're likely to have it accessed for a prolonged period. So in those very intensive protocols, more often we would go with the external type of line. Now in regular acute lymphoblastic leukaemia of the standard risk variety, I guess more often still we would use the external type of central line because with leukaemia treatment, you're using it pretty often. You know, you're giving drugs every week. You're regularly accessing the line So I think more often we would go with this external type of central line, but there would be units that relied on ports more often in that situation. Then if we leave leukaemia for a moment and talk about the solid tumour protocols, I guess in advanced neuroblastoma they get pretty strong treatment and they tend to be very young children. So I think more often we would end up with an external line. I wouldn't say that was universally the case, but probably more often we would go with the double lumen Hickman type external line. And then you come to other tumours and other situations where really you could you could use either line and either line would be manageable. Well, then we have to consider, well, which sort of line will we put in? And usually in these situations, we show the parents our dummy that has both central lines in place and we talk over everything that I've just talked about 
and see whether they have any particular strong feelings about which sort of line to use. A lot of the time it comes down to needles a bit, I must say. There are some children who are absolutely terrified by needles and that's okay, they're normal kids. Some kids are totally terrified by needles. I'm totally terrified by needles. And even with all the numbing cream in the world and all the reassurance in the world, they're just so terrified that it becomes a real struggle to access a portacath, to put the needle into the infuser port. There's screaming, there's wailing, they won't get in the car or on the way to the hospital. You know, it can be a very, very traumatic time for the poor child. Now, in children like that, well, it might be that the external central line is a better idea, since it doesn't have needles involved. Then you meet children and teenagers who don't really care much about needles. If They don't mind sitting still or lying still for needles, particularly if they have the numbing cream, and they're happy to have finger pricks for their blood tests, but they really hate the idea of this bit of tubing dangling out of their chest. So for those, it might be that the portacath or the infuser port is a better option. I particularly find that a lot of teenagers don't like the body image thing of having this tubing dangling out of their body, and so a lot of them choose to have the portacath. And by the way, it's particularly often a better idea to use the portacath in those protocols where they just have chemotherapy, say, every three weeks, for instance, and in between times, you're hardly using it. So if you're only going to need to get into a vein about every three weeks, well, maybe the infuser port is a better idea and you can use finger pricks for blood counts in the meantime. Some other kids prefer a port because they can go swimming and it's easier with showering or they might be involved in some sort of sporting activity where it's a bit less obtrusive and a bit less of a problem to participate in sports. Other families have kids where they're constantly wrestling with each other and and they worry that someone's going to pull this central line out. I have seen this, by the way. I've seen children pull out central lines. I've seen them pull them out within about a day of having them put in. Mostly it won't slip out, by the way, the central line, because it's got a little cuff thing. Just where it exits the skin, there's a sort of thickened part just inside the skin, so it shouldn't just slip out of the hole. But when they're fresh and they've just been put in, I have seen children pull them out. And so I guess it's possible that kids that are wrestling in the backyard could pull out a central line. So in that situation, you might say a port's a better idea. So there's a whole lot of considerations that go into this. Like I said, there's medical situations where the port just isn't suitable because we're going to need the line too often or we're going to need to give multiple drugs at once and particularly bone marrow transplants and very intensive chemotherapy protocols. We're better off with the external type of line. Otherwise, it often comes down to the particular institution's preference and the particular family and patient's preference. Do they really hate needles, so they should go with the external line? Or do they really hate the idea of this tubing dangling out of the chest and needing dressings, etc.? Now, just a couple of other points to mention. One is that to access the infuser port, you need to have the special needles and you need to have people who know how to do it. And not every hospital is automatically going to have someone on the spot who knows how to do this. At the oncology unit they will, of course, but if you have to turn up to some district hospital out of hours, it may be that there aren't nurses who are so familiar with accessing portacaths and infuser ports. A lot of the time it seems there usually is someone there who can do this, provided they have the right needle. 
whereas accessing an external line is normally pretty straightforward. It has to be done with meticulous sterile technique. You know, there's antiseptic everywhere and, you know, everything has to be meticulously clean so that we don't introduce infection into it. But most of the time, people will be able to manage it. Another thing to mention about the infuser ports is that there are is that they don't necessarily need to be put in that location on the front of the chest. I have seen patients who, for cosmetic reasons, prefer that it be located in a different position. And so it may still have tunnelled under the skin and up to the neck vein, but the port itself might have been put in position elsewhere, lower down on the chest or even down on the side of the chest. I've seen all sorts of things. And for cosmetic reasons often and... I guess particularly people who are going to wear low-cut dresses and things like that, they might worry about a scar that might be left behind by it. And so they can talk to the surgeon and see what's possible. Now, once we finish all of the chemotherapy and we usually check that the patient's bone marrow is clear or their scans are clear and it's time to stop treatment, well, then normally it's another operation to pull out this line. So Normally we would have another general anaesthetic and then the surgeon could get on with removing the line. I guess it's a bit more of an operation to remove the infuser port rather than the Hickman line, but I wouldn't let that be a consideration in choosing which one to have. Normally removing the line is just a day surgery procedure. Come in, have it done, then go home. I guess when we first put in these lines... Often we admit the patient into hospital, but that's because we're in the process of starting chemotherapy, and so there may be other reasons to have them in hospital. Plus, of course, the family need to be educated in how to care for this line and how to look out for side effects of chemotherapy. There's a whole education process in place as well. So often after we put a line in, we have the patient stay in hospital for a period. When we take a line out, normally it's a go-home-the-same-day job. Anyway, that's my spiel on central lines, uh, the external line, the portacath type line. They have their pros, they have their cons. Some people will prefer one, some will prefer the other. Just take all of this information on board, think about it all, talk to your team and see what's the right type of line to have put in. In my next episode on central lines, I'm going to talk about the things that can go wrong with central lines. But for now, I'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.